to the RTI Time Machine. Today's time traveler is... John Van Trieste. And the destination... The Japanese colonial period. It's been over 100 years since Taiwan's musicians started recording their music. From their first gramophone record, they've moved through many recording formats and decades worth of fashions, both foreign and local. They've also weathered years of censorship to arrive in an era of free expression. Many people in Taiwan can point you to the famous songs and singers of the past and tell you which songs were once banned. But the details are often fuzzy. What was the first Taiwanese record? How did the stars live and perform? And why were certain songs banned, but not others? I've wanted to learn more about the history of recorded music in Taiwan since stumbling on a piece of that history in RTI's CD library. It's a re-release of classic songs from the 1930s. If you've heard this program before, you've heard many tracks from this CD already. To really understand these songs, and the world that made them, we need the help of an expert. Huang Yuyuan is just the person for the job. He is a researcher at the National Museum of Taiwan History who's made Taiwan's recorded music a focus of his work. Over the next three weeks, he'll share his deep knowledge of the subject with us, telling us about the classic hits, about recording in the past, and about why some old songs are still among Taiwan's best loved today. We start off today in the period when Taiwan was under Japanese colonial rule, from 1895 to 1945. The first ever recording by Taiwanese musicians was made during this era, in 1914. A Japanese record company invited a group of well-known performers from Taiwan to come to its studios in Japan and record traditional music. These ethnic Chinese artists performed in a range of styles. There was the lively instrumental music called Bayin. There were also examples of opera in the local Hokkien vernacular. The performers certainly delivered. At this point, gramophone records had a playing time of around 3 minutes and 30 seconds each. By the time the performers went home, they'd filled over 100 of these records. There was money to be made from recordings like these. The records could sell in Taiwan, of course, but the same styles of music were popular in mainland China and among ethnic Chinese in Southeast Asia. The recordings could replace the troops of musicians hired for weddings, holidays, and funerals. And as Hokkien speakers were widely spread in Asia, recordings of Hokkien opera could have a wide audience too. It seems these first records were a success. They were still being reissued late in the 1920s. Even after some musicians moved away from traditional styles, Taiwanese records remained popular outside of Taiwan too. It may come as a surprise to learn that many of these first records are still in playable condition. Some of them come from later batches, but a few survive from 1914. Mr. Huang says we still have close to half the songs. He says records are actually quite durable. Unless they're shattered or squished, or get warped by swings in temperature, they can often be cleaned off and played, even after a century. The Hokkien opera you hear now is not from one of these first albums. 
This recording was made later, sometime between 1927 and 1930, but it's in the same vein as the first recordings. Traditional music like this accounted for the bulk of Taiwanese recordings into the 1930s. That was when jazz music began trickling in from Japan, a place where jazz had been introduced in turn not all that long before. Some Taiwanese records now started to feature Western orchestral backups. But not everything about this new music was really new. For one thing, many of the singers still came from the world of Hokkien opera. This was a world that came with its own musical conventions and the need to project from a stage. When performing songs in the new style, these singers often channeled the style and the techniques they already knew, creating a hybrid of Western and Taiwanese. In addition to the style of delivery, traditional meters of verse also crossed over. In the 1930s, pop songs stuck to the verse patterns of the opera, with many seven-syllable lines. This familiar pattern only loosened up in later years. The new songs also had pentatonic melodies that carried a traditional flavor, though in the hands of Japanese arrangers, these could sometimes take on a Japanese feel. All in all, this new music was an interesting blend. Through the colonial era, getting a Taiwanese record made was a difficult process. Taiwan had no recording studios, and so Taiwanese artists often had to travel to Japan. Other times, the record labels would have to send technical staff and equipment from Japan to Taiwan. Once in Taiwan, they'd have to make do with a makeshift recording space, spaces like the upper floors of restaurants rented out for the occasion. At this time, there was no track laying, and so everything had to go perfectly in a single take. For this reason, singers of this era spent much of their time rehearsing so they would have their songs down pat by recording time. The costs of even getting this far meant that marathon recording sessions were still the norm up to the end of the colonial era. Many albums worth of music would be recorded all at once, enough to give the companies material to last them for a long time. Sometimes albums were only released a few years after their recording date. Sometimes, Taiwanese musicians would hire labels to record their music for them. But most music came from the labels themselves and their contracted singers. One of the biggest labels for Taiwan's music was Columbia. This label had a big name. The story goes that Liu Qingxiang was born to noodle sellers in 1914, the year Taiwan's first records appeared. She grew up a fan of Hokkien opera and learned its style before going into the world of recording around the age of 20. It was at this time that she adopted the stage name Chun Chun and switched to singing the new jazzy style of music. Mr. Huang estimates that during the 1930s, Colombia put out somewhere between 200 and 300 Taiwanese tracks. He says around 40% of these, including some of the most famous, were first recorded by Chun Chun. Most of the songs you've heard in the background today have been hers. She was just that prolific.
Here she is again in a duet called Dui Hua. It features another popular singer called Qing Chun Mei. 青春美青春美青春美青春美 was a female singer with a lower voice, one that made her a popular stand-in for male singers when none were to be found for duets like these. Chun Chun would die young after a short career, she passed away in 1943, at around the age of 29. Qing Chunmei, meanwhile, is said to have married a Japanese person, leaving Taiwan and the spotlight behind. What was life like for well-known singers like these? Who could afford their records? Where did those who couldn't buy records go to hear their music? And which songs from this period do people still remember today? Join me again next week when Mr. Huang returns for more. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. Listen, are you listening? <laughs> This is the sound of my country. This is the sound of Taiwan.